You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordleone, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. Psalm 139 tells us that God is watching every one of these young bodies as they're growing in their mother's womb because he placed them there. Persuasion is replaced with punishment and mercy is replaced with vengeance. Pluralism is replaced with conformity and debate with deplatforming. Signing the cross belongs to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. It's a birthright. It's truly Catholic confession for all Christians. It's a possession that belongs to everyone within the Christian church. We wake up with resolve and we go to bed with repentance. We wake up and we pray, Lord, may all my doings in life please you. And we go to bed praying, forgive me for all the sins I've done this day. Stay-at-home moms in Philadelphia love listening to issues, etc., while breastfeeding their babies to sleep at night. The phone rings, and it's your pastor. He wants to come and visit you. You wonder, well, what's wrong? Maybe he hasn't seen you in a while. Or maybe he's heard that you're sick, or maybe he's heard that you're facing surgery. You know what he's doing? He's doing his job. He's doing exactly what... Christ has called him to do. Part of what a pastor does takes place in the pulpit on Sunday morning and at the altar on Sunday morning, but much of what the pastor does takes place, well, outside his office, maybe in your home, your hospital room, maybe in your hour of grief. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to talk about pastoral visitation with Dr. Tyler Arnold here in the first hour of the program. Then we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Coming up, the transfiguration of our Lord, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy will be our guest. Dr. Tyler Arnold is pastor of Village Lutheran Church in St. Louis. He's Collegium Fellow for Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel, and he's author of the new book, Pastoral Visitation, for the Care of Souls. Tyler, welcome back. Thank you so much. How does the pastor's task of visitation grow out of God's visitation? God's visitation is to his people. And we know God's visitation is an embodied visitation in the New Testament with our Savior Jesus Christ, of course. And, of course, the pastor's visitation is an embodied visitation to people who have unique needs, emotions, they have physical needs, they have spiritual needs, and we provide for them. And pastors specifically are providing for the spiritual needs, and they come into the the living rooms, the homes and hospital rooms, and that's the way that I talk about it in the book, the breaching doorposts of, of, of homes and hospital rooms to meet people where they're at. And I think specifically of God's visitation being something that is given to provide. And that's what pastors are doing. They're providing something that God provides for them. We look in the Old Testament, God provides sometimes 
food for the needy. Like in Ruth chapter one, for instance, Naomi and her daughters-in-law, they need to be provided uh, with food because there was a famine. So it says in Ruth chapter one, God came and visited them and provided for their needs. But it's not just those uh, first article creation type of gifts for the body. We know that God also visited his people with second article gifts, you know, the, the gifts that Jesus provides of himself. So like in Genesis chapter 21, for instance, Sarah gets visited by God and she's told that God is going to provide an heir, a son for Sarah. And this is definitely a a creation gift, right? I mean, this is going to be a son for her, but it's also an heir. It's also a blessing for us, a spiritual blessing, because this this is the the seed, the line that that our Lord would give in promise for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to come unto us. And and of course, in the New Testament, we have Mary being visited by an angel and told that she will conceive and bear a child. And uh, Zechariah visited by an angel. And God is said, and I love this in the Benedictus whenever Zechariah says this, God has visited and redeemed his people. And that redemption is brought through the visitation of God. And God's servants, pastors, will visit God's people with those kinds of provisions. And they are blessed provisions that we receive. You say that the pastor doesn't just carry or bear the name of Jesus. He identifies with the name of Jesus. What does that mean? Yeah, Jesus seeks out and comes near his people. We know this quite well when we talk about his word and sacraments, of course. The Lord comes to us through the means by which God has appointed for us. But he also uses his servants, his pastors, to come near and to teach, to come near and share whatever blessings that God has provided through that pastor or whatever visitor it might be. And it's such a blessing coming near that Jesus does through visitation. Now, we've seen this in the New Testament a number of times. You know, he comes near to teach, to order that which is disordered, disordered thinking, disordered works, whatever it may be, whenever he's coming into the lives and drawing order into those lives through his gifts or healing the sick, whatever he's doing. Jesus is not just an example of an identity that we should take up. Jesus actually is the embodiment of the gifts themselves. And so what pastors do is they embody the gifts of Jesus through visitation. I'm not saying that the pastor becomes a sacrament in the strict sense, but the pastor is delivering what Jesus has for those that the pastor visits. And so because Jesus is embodied, he comes to those who are embodied. He comes to people who have emotions, who who have fears and needs. They have spiritual disorder, they have disillusionment, whatever it is, here comes Jesus and he comes in embodied ways for us, physical ways, and he uses his people to bring what he has to offer in their greatest times of need. How is visitation not just an ancillary auxiliary task of the pastor? How is it integral to the pastoral office? 
Yeah, so I think this is very important for us to understand that visitation is not something that the pastor just does. Visitation is who he is. And we can find this in the scriptures. So we hear about this uh, word episcope, and, and we hear about that in First Timothy chapter 3. A pastor is, is an overseer that is one that is appointed by God, and the one who seeks out this particular position, he seeks a, a noble task. Well, that episcope, if we look at it, that's a noun. If we look at it in the verb form is episcopeo. And what that Greek word literally means is to visit. So pastors are not just of the function of visitation. They are defined in essence as visitors. They embody visitation by what they are and who they are. So visitation is really defining what a pastor is. And this is carried out through what we call extraordinary care. So ordinary care oftentimes is referred to what we receive in the divine service. So ordinary things that come to us in the divine service, you know, they're not so ordinary, but they ordinarily come to us. Word and sacrament, for instance. So the extraordinary way that God cares for his people is through pastoral visitation. Pastors visit God's people with the extraordinary means of grace in extraordinary ways in difficult situations, oftentimes having to diagnose the problems of the soul and finding remedies based on God's word, his law and gospel. We look at symptoms and then we we figure out what it is, just like a physician, a physician's of souls, if you will, will look at a person's heart, their life from every different angle and discover what it is that it needs. And so that's sort of the, I guess you could say the, the very embodiment, the integral part of identity that a pastor has in his office. So why does the pastor visit his people? What is the overarching goal, regardless of the circumstance that he walks into? I think it's to bring Jesus and uh, also to have the opportunity to listen. And the goal is, we could say that there are a number of different things that would prompt a pastor to visit. Perhaps building a foundation of relationship, that's always very, very important. But what we need to be as visitors who embody visitation, who are defined as visitors, is that we need to bring the one that we are given to bring, and that is Jesus. So whenever we make these visits, how difficult they are. Bonhoeffer once said that every unsuccessful visit is a judgment against us because it displays our spiritual weakness and our lack of power. And that really is very telling because pastors are in a very vulnerable position whenever they're visiting their members. They're meeting them on their turf. Their kitchen table or their living room is their sacred space. So you never know what's going to happen. And so sometimes pastors fear visitation for that reason because, well, they have to interact in ways that there might be confrontation involved. And I love this quote by Gregory of Nazianzus. He says, I would much rather deal with problems from the pulpit. Those problems that occur in our parishes are, yeah, a lot easier to deal with when 
we can stand in the pulpit and tell everyone what is right or what is wrong instead of engaging people that might actually ask very, very difficult questions or have some things that are, are very confrontational. You say that the pastoral visitation has a liturgical function. What do you mean by that? Yeah, in John Kleinick's book, Grace Upon Grace, he says that our callings require us to make a pilgrimage from earth to heaven and then back to earth again. And there's a real liturgical function to that. I, I think that's beautiful, the way that John Kleinick writes that for us. Because there is a rhythm to the liturgy. And while we know of the liturgy and the divine service on Sunday morning, many of us haven't memorized or have been in part of it for a very long time. The liturgy not only incorporates what we speak, but also what we hear. We hear in the divine liturgy, and I think what also comes through quite clearly in opportunities, those extraordinary care opportunities in homes and hospital rooms, is the ability to hear God's story. And when extraordinary care is being practiced, when it's being carried out in the lives of people who suffer or in the midst of despair, or even just maybe it's a kind of get-to-know-you opportunity, we have the opportunity in a liturgical way, to incorporate God's story into the story, into the lives of others. And that can be something that is very needful, especially to those that are encountering high levels of, of despair, to see how even in the midst of, of tragedy, of despair, of, of heartache, that God's story is not much different that God's story is our story, and we can be incorporated into it. And that's what the liturgy does. It doesn't have to be a set way that we say responses and prayers. What a liturgy can be is an opportunity to converse, incorporating story, God's story, and how that is incorporated into our story, and our story amidst God's story. One of the ladies that I used to visit whenever I was pastor in Kansas City, that was very important for her, to be placed in Christ's story amidst her despair. And so, you know, listening to her conversation was always liturgical because we got to incorporate what she said and what she felt, what she was going through, into the life and the story and even the despair that our Lord and Savior experienced as well. We're talking about pastoral visitation with Dr. Tyler Arnold. He's author of the new book, Pastoral Visitation for the Care of Souls. We'll talk about listening in visitation next. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
things above. That's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the golden, wake awake for night is flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ's altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical Curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. Simplyclassical.com. We're discussing pastoral visitation with Dr. Tyler Arnold, pastor of Village Lutheran Church in St. Louis and a collegium fellow for Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel. He's author of the new book, Pastoral Visitation. You've mentioned listening here a couple times, Tyler. Why is listening vital to pastoral visitation? It's very important, Todd. One of the things about listening to somebody, you start to begin to value exactly what they're saying. And it makes a person feel more human when you value them. It invites sharing. It gives us opportunity to incorporate God's story with their story, as I just mentioned. I'd like to read an excerpt of the uh, book that I wrote. And this is about Carol, the one that I, I mentioned just before, who was going through a higher level of despair. What had happened to her is that she lost her son, uh, who was in his 40s, to cancer. And then she lost her husband after an elective surgery. He shouldn't have died, but he did. It crushed her, as it would any of us who loses a loved one when we think that everything's going to be okay. And then just not even a year later, her older son dies of an aneurysm while driving a car, and he hits a tree. And and, and she is just shattered by all three of these men who have died just in a short period of time. And so this is what I I write about uh, visiting Carol and listening. I say, visiting Carol after each life-changing tragedy became more and more difficult. Her grief intensified as her life became more broken and chaotic. I felt increasingly helpless each time I rang her doorbell. Yet, there I was, poised to take my seat in her living room and join with her in her grief. That's what pastors do. Even more, that's what Christians do because that's what Christ does. She sat on the living room couch and I in my chair, 
by the fireplace. As always, I have my pastoral care companion book, which includes biblical texts, occasional prayers, and familiar liturgical recitations. These tools were at my disposal when I visited, but honestly, I used them only sparingly. Most of the time, I simply listened. I listened to her share her heartfelt grief and unbearable pain. I listened to her groans toward God as she told me how defenseless and vulnerable she felt without her husband and sons. She couldn't understand why God would take away the three most important men in her life. Week after week, I sat and listened to Carol. She began to tell me stories about her childhood, her life as a daughter, as a wife, as a mother. She told me about her good and bad memories. But mostly, she talked about how it was her Lord that sustained her through all of it. She realized that God's great suffering is not just a story told, but a story lived. As we talked and reflected on God's story that she knew so well, she began to frame her life stories into God's redemption story. His story was her healing balm. His story of grace brought order into her chaotic, broken narrative of loss and grief. I didn't do much to tell Carol about the story of Jesus. She knew it. She knew the story of Jesus. And maybe more in those particular times, she could understand it and relate to it even more so because of her own brokenness. So just listening can sometimes help a person incorporate themselves into the story of Christ. And of course, as pastors, we have the opportunity to make those connections with those that we visit. And that's a blessed opportunity too. But that has to come after listening. We listen first and then show how the story of Jesus is their story. How should a pastor prepare for visitation? I give some suggestions in the book. These are just very practical things. Of course, I talk about things like prayer and preparation beforehand may just come in in the way of just maybe knowing a little bit about the person that you're visiting. Sometimes we don't get that opportunity, right? I mean, sometimes the people that we're visiting are people that we don't know, but prayer is always our first thing. And I always tell pastors if they ask me about visitation that it's nice to make your intentions known right away when you're making a visit. It will dispel a lot of questions in their heart and probably fears that they may have when the pastor knocks on their door. People may think, oh, what did I do wrong now? And we want to make sure that we're making our intentions clear. And then, of course, We want to listen, just like I had mentioned. But then also, I think it's always a very good idea that while we're listening, we're also thinking about what informs our prayers. Because then at the conclusion of the visit, I would say, always have a prayer with the people that you're visiting. And if you have the opportunity, and I would really strongly encourage pastors to do this, to bless those that are being visited. It's a wonderful thing, blessing is. We here Kleinick talk about it as a gospel enactment. We're placing the gospel 
upon the person that that, that we're, we're visiting. Christ gets put on that person through blessing, and God puts his blessing upon them. Eugene Peterson once said that God's blessing is how God stands, stoops, and stays with his people. When he stands with his people, we know that he's foundational and dependable. When he stoops, he kneels down to our level and meets us where we're at. And when he stays with his people, we know that God is with us always as he promises So use those mechanisms, if you will, prayer and blessing. Whenever I have the opportunity, I I also bring the Lord's Supper whenever I visit. But not all the time are we doing the the Lord's Supper during visitation because there's all sorts of different occasions for visitation. And sometimes the Lord's Supper doesn't call for that occasion. Often a pastor's offer to visit is politely declined What should the pastor do then? Well, I think accept that declination, but don't let it just be a declination that's never revisited. So come back to it. See if there's another time that we might be able to go and and visit, see how that person is doing. And it may be that now you're going to find an opportunity to visit in other ways. Maybe it's not going to be a physical visit, but maybe they'll be more comfortable sharing with you over the phone or maybe even coming in and seeing you where you're at. I had a number of people that would rather not me come to their home for various reasons, but rather would like to come in and speak to me. That's just fine. We can definitely have productive opportunities to care and to listen and to do pastoral care in, the, in those situations as well. Definitely don't want to minimize that at all. But there's a number of ways that we can try to help maybe make sure that the person who we want to visit know that this is important and tell that person that, hey, even though I know you may not necessarily think you need a visit, I would like to come and visit you. I would like to come and get to know you better. So sometimes it's a matter of revisiting that. There are obviously nowadays many ways that a pastor can make contact. What are some of them? I do point out a few in the book. I talk about calling over the phone, leaving voicemails, emails, personal notes, social media. All of these things are ways that people communicate these days. And oftentimes people prefer it, especially because we're able to keep our distance and receive these visitations on our own time and in our own way. These things can be used by pastors. I don't think that it's inappropriate to call on the phone. Of course I don't. I do that often. Or to send emails. Make them personal emails. To send notes. Oh, I encourage pastors to do that. I think that's a great way to break the ice with people and to show how much they are appreciated. And then the use of social media, that needs to be done with caution because we can get caught up on that. And we can do it in a negative way. We can respond in negative ways. If there is a situation, especially on social media, if you do see that concerns you, I would strongly suggest that you contact them personally. If you want to instant message them directly, you could do that just privately. But I would really strongly suggest calling them on the phone and saying, hey, I I see that this is happening in your life. 
I saw it on Facebook or whatever social media platform we're looking at, and, and I'm concerned about it. I, I would like you to tell me more. How can I help you? How can I come alongside of you in this time? I've seen that before. I, I actually, a number of different occasions, saw someone that had checked in. There's a check-in feature in Facebook, checked into the hospital, and one woman was pregnant, and I got really concerned. And so I, I instant messaged her right away. I said, is everything okay? And she wrote back, it's not okay. Things are, are going badly today. So I immediately got in, into my car and I visited at the hospital. Social media helped me to see that. And, and I don't know if they would have said anything if I didn't see something and then talk about it first. So those other ways to have and make contact with people other than face-to-face visitation, they can better supplement visitation. But they don't substitute for a good old face-to-face visitation, and they can supplement it, but I still think that pastors need to be active in in face-to-face visitation. There's a lot of value there. Dr. Tyler Arnold is our guest, author of the new book, Pastoral Visitation for the Care of Souls. On the other side, we'll talk about pastoral visitation during the pandemic. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Thursday, January the 26th, we're talking about pastoral visitation with Dr. Tyler Arnold. Dr. Arnold, uh, talk a little bit about pastoral visitation during the recent pandemic. Yeah, one story in particular that just still breaks my heart. A lady by the name of Verna, she was a blessed lady. She worked in the library in the local Lutheran school for many years, and she had been suffering with Alzheimer's. Her husband, very faithful, would go and visit her every day. 
he would have breakfast with her early in the morning and he would feed her and stay with her until lunch, feed her lunch, and then go home in the afternoon. And he did this every day. When the pandemic hit, the nursing facility where Verna lived no longer allowed her husband to visit her. And what had happened to Verna is that she slowly began to die. This is not the only story. We know and have heard of a lot of these stories out there. But her husband's visitation was so vital that whenever it didn't happen, she slowly started to waste away physically. She didn't eat any longer. She would not get out of bed. And it became a real tragic story, one among many, as we have seen. Finally, at the end of Verna's life, her husband and myself and a few of the family members were able to visit. We had uh, prayers and blessings in her room just a matter of hours before she passed. We were not able to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, with Verna. She was not able to do that in her state. Her family stood outside of her window and sang hymns. And so the effects of the separation, we hear many of these stories, and they were tragic stories. What it really all amounts to is that God's people struggle in times of separation because we're meant to be together. We're meant to be a community of the church. And that's what visitation provides. It provides a connection to the church, to those that may need special care, but it also provides a connection to Christ, of course, in those extraordinary times when people cannot gather as a community of believers. And so there were a lot of very creative ways that pastors use to create community and to be together during a pandemic. I list a few of those. Some of those visitations happened outside. Some of those happened in small groups. We just know that the difficulty and the challenges that being separated had an effect on for the church. And it just goes to show you all the more that uh, the church is truly a community that relies on each other, founded on Christ Jesus who provides all things. And when we are separated, when there's disorder in the community that is brought on by something like a pandemic, then chaos ensues and uh, challenges definitely occur in the lives of God's people. How does the pastor go about training the laity to take their part in visitation? So I think first and foremost, pastors should create a culture within the church. And what I mean by that is they should incorporate the need for visitation within preaching, within Bible studies. And I'm not saying that we need to have a sermon series on visitation or that we need to have a whole Bible study on visitation for, you know, a month, a series or something like that. Make it a part of the way that people hear the preaching that you're sharing in the divine service. Make it a part of the way that you're teaching people. We had a Bible study that incorporated the reading of, of Zacchaeus and Jesus in that story. And of course, we know that uh, Zacchaeus, he was the small man that went up into the sycamore tree and, and Jesus 
says, hey, come down, as the song echoes in our head whenever we hear this. And uh, Jesus says, uh, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to visit you. And we know what kind of man that, that Zacchaeus was, at least in the eyes of greater society. But here's Jesus visiting someone who maybe something didn't deserve to be visited. Or why, Lord, are you defiling yourself by visiting this man? And we talked about that in Bible study. And someone suggested, hey, pastor, maybe we should visit somebody that maybe we've never visited before. Maybe we don't know. How much did Jesus know about Zacchaeus? How much do we know about our neighbor? And so it became a challenge that came out of Bible study. And it was amazing how many people came up to me weeks later and said, hey, you know, I did what we talked about in Bible study. I actually went and visited a neighbor that I did not know. And it gave them opportunity to tell their story tell them who they love. And the great thing about telling somebody who they love is that that can include, of course, our love of our Lord. And so tell them who they love and to even have the opportunity to invite them to church to be a part of the church community for which they find so much joy and refreshment. And so, you know, make it a part of the culture. Normalize it. With elders, I talk about how we can teach this There are resources out there. Tim Mack, um, a pastor up in Wisconsin, has a CPH resource that has a DVD that has some suggestions on what pastors might teach, but also elders might do in situations where they're speaking with members of the congregation or doing visitation themselves. We can all make use of these resources out there. And, And again, I think the pastor making it a part of the culture for the elders and for the congregation, and to normalize it goes a long way. You talk about five situations, and there's a lot of overlap between these situations, of course, that the pastor is going to be called upon to visit, beginning with the sick and the dying. Tell us about that. There was a lady by the name of Evie. I call her a lady, but she was 15 years old. She was suffering from bone cancer, and she was angry at God for allowing this to happen. And she was so worried that God would not love her back because of her anger. And she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to handle it. So Evie and I had an opportunity on a couple of different occasions just to talk about that. And one of the ways that that we talked about her, her suffering and despair and her anger amid this very difficult situation that she was in suffering from bone cancer as a 15-year-old girl that now she can't even walk and she's sitting in a wheelchair. I did not take the tact of trying to explain the suffering that she was going through. I simply listened and showed her that sometimes we are in the midst of these things for reasons that we just do not understand. But in the midst of these situations, God will provide for us and that he still loves us no matter what. Even though we may be angry, God's shoulders are big enough to endure any kind of word that we might have with him for what we suffer, the despair upon our hearts. And so that particular situation gave me an opportunity to tell Evie, God loves you even when you're angry with him. And God 
holds on to you no matter what. Didn't try to explain why she was suffering, but rather showed her how her Lord suffers and dies with her, for her, in these very difficult times. What about the time before surgery that you say is often marked by understandable fear and anxiety? Yeah, one man that I visited right before surgery, it was a very difficult surgery. He expressed a lot of fear and anxiety. And I think the biggest thing that he was dealing with when it came to this is that he felt he was alone. He felt like, I'm going through this by myself. And we had an opportunity to remember that even in these times on the operating table, he has a Lord that is with him that will not abandon him, and that is his great physician of his body and soul. And we hear what Paul says, you know, do not be anxious. Whenever we hear Paul say, do not be anxious, it doesn't mean that we have no reason to be. (laughs) We know that there are times when we are, but we know that in this sense, when Paul says this, that we have a Lord who is with us amid those very anxious times. Talk about uh, the shut-in visit. Often that is simply kind of touching base. They usually have to be incorporated into the pastor schedule as a regular thing. Yeah, absolutely. Shut-ins are of particular concern for us as pastors, right? I mean, we want to make sure that they're receiving the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. Oftentimes, pastors encounter shut-ins that, that feel isolated, lonely, They feel set apart from the worshiping community. And our main task is to join them with the community of faith and doing so by the Lord's Supper, doing so, making sure that they know that they are a part of something, even though they cannot be in church. I had a lady, uh, her name uh, was Ida, and she particularly was feeling loneliness and isolation. And she was in a care facility and a very good one at that. She had lost her husband. She had lost her sight as well along the way. She was legally blind, and she also lost the ability to walk. So things were very limited for her. And because of this, she felt so isolated. She felt so apart from everything. She couldn't see. She couldn't walk. She had no husband. She felt alone a lot of times. Then she was able to get involved in something in the facility that she was, and she actually uh, found a community within that place that, that really helped her. And sometimes I think we pastors can, can help with the work of those members in our congregation to find ways to draw community into the lives of our shut-ins. And I'd have really loved to tell her story. And so whenever she told her story, it helped her to remember that she was a part of something very much bigger than herself. She was a part of the church, and that was such a blessing to her. And uh, we kept on coming back to her stories, and she, she loved it. She loved to do it. She loved to be able to tell stories about when she was a child and, and riding a horse to church and different things like that. And I loved to hear it. And again, that goes along with the listening that any kind of visitor can do. And also comes into the form of, hey, how do we help come alongside of God's people just as Christ has come alongside of us and helping them to realize that they are a part of something so much just greater than themselves, this community of faith 
that we all belong to. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're discussing pastoral visitation with Dr. Tyler Arnold. Overcoming the stigma of mental illness in the Lutheran congregation, pastoral care for the mentally ill, our journey with Alzheimer's disease, advice for finding a therapist. These are some of the issues covered in the February issue of the Lutheran Witness magazine. You can receive an annual print and a digital subscription for less than $20. Learn more at cph.org witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, The Lutheran Witness Magazine. Should a pastor be visiting the lost? And if so, how? Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Elective abortion is not and never has been medical care. So wrote Dr. Donna Harrison, a wife, mother of five, and grandmother of ten, and also a pro-life advocate. And she wrote those words in the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, in which we take up the issue of the pro-life movement after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Spiritual and Religious you're listening to Issues Etc. Have you ever wished you could see Ad Crucem's products before buying them? Well, you can. Come visit us at our workshop in Littleton, Colorado, and watch how we make our Christmas ornaments and print our icons. Check out the quality and fabric of our church banners, or choose some greeting cards, posters, or jewelry. Of course, if you can't make it to Colorado, we're always open online. For details and directions, visit adcrucem.com. That's A D C R U. CEM.com. Welcome back. We're talking about pastoral visitation with Dr. Tyler Arnold. Tyler, how should a pastor approach a visit to the lost? Yeah, so I think carefully, of course. We have to watch our words in these situations because when somebody is lost, there's many different reasons that have contributed to it. And sometimes we want to be quick to speak the word of the law. And for sure, the word of the law needs to be shared or given or shown in some way. But we also want to help the person to remember that they are missed if they are a delinquent member, that they are loved by someone greater than themselves, that people around them care for them, and that is the reason why they are concerned. And there's all sorts of excuses out there that people give that create this sense of loss in their life. 
And we as pastors have to be able to diagnose during these situations. Is what's causing them to be lost, is it misbelief? Are they misbelieving about something that is occurring in their life? Do they think the wrong thing about it? Something that God does not say, but they believe? Or do they simply unbelieve? Do they not believe in the Lord? Each of those kinds of situations is going to make a determination upon ourselves on on how we approach it. There was one lady in our congregation that decided not to come to church anymore, and so I visited her. She knew why I was there. I, I I didn't have to announce it. She knew that she had been absent from church. And so whenever I spoke to her, my very presence was the law. <laughs> when I spoke to her, I simply told her, we really miss you. And the things that are given to you in the divine service are really beneficial <laughs> for your life and your salvation. And we really think, I think, that you need them. As a matter of fact, I know you need them. She did come back. She did come back, I think, realizing then of what she was missing And it became a real blessing to her and to her husband and to her children as they got more involved in the community of faith and surrounded by the people of God who loved her so much and showed her so much love. She didn't realize what she was missing until she was told that she was missed. You've spoken about this in some length here, but what about visiting those who have suffered a personal tragedy? Yeah, This was a long time ago. Um, I got a call in the middle of the night. It was the mother of a son in the military. She said, my son is dead. I just got contacted, you know, visitors at the door. That's how the military do it. He had died in the Middle East. It was so tragic. It was so tragic, heartbreaking. He was on his third tour of duty, I do believe. He didn't have to go, but he volunteered to go because he was young and single. His mom didn't really want him to go, but he un- she understood why he went, and so she supported him. But then when this happened, she began to regret supporting him, and she wished that she had talked him out of it, to stay home, to not serve that next tour, to be alive. And she grieved this, and of course she blamed herself. Again, this can even point to What we talked about just before in regards to misbelief, the misbelief that she was somehow responsible for this. We had to dispel that right away because, of course, she wasn't. Nobody could have predicted the future of what would happen. And we take a page out of the Beatitudes during these times when we see grief experienced and God's people coming alongside of those who are grieving. We hear what our Lord said in those Beatitudes, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that was my refrain to her. You are blessed. As one who is mourning, you are blessed and you are comforted today by your Lord who promises to never leave you, to never forsake you. And so being there at those particular times to remind those who are grieving of those very things Again, we're not trying to explain it. We're trying to enter into it with them. And this is part of the empathy that the pastor shows to those who are grieving, who are wrought with despair, is to enter into it. We're not trying to explain it and try to make sense of it because, quite frankly, we can't. 
but entering into it with them, coming alongside of them in these moments of tragedy goes a long way in the way that God provides comfort and blessing to his people. Finally, how would you encourage pastors and congregations toward pastoral visitation? I have a part in my book at the very end just called Words of Encouragement, and it makes up the last chapter. And I'd like to read a portion of that. This is what that chapter says. It says, In Jesus' narrative about the final judgment, the ones he called righteous had no idea what he was talking about. We can imagine them looking quizzically at one another and compelled to ask a clarifying question. And when did we see you sick or in prison? And when did we visit you? Of course, that's that Matthew text. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me, says Jesus. Jesus so confidently and resolute responds, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Visitors visit Jesus. That's right. I know it's difficult sometimes to see Jesus in the broken bodies of the sick, the defiant faces of the obstinate, or the quaking hearts of the suffering. I realize that scandals revealed by sinners and despair verbalized by souls wrought with fear dull our view of the perfect Savior within others. But, dear brothers in Christ, it is true. You visit Jesus, just like he says in the Gospel of Matthew. We visit Jesus because Jesus is with those that we visit, and thank God for that. There is no way we could do it without him. There is no way those we visit could either. Knowing that we are never alone is the true comfort on which all of us depend. We could never do it alone. We are never alone. Knowing that we're never alone is the encouragement that I have going into visitation. Knowing that whenever I'm visiting, whoever it might be in my congregation, a shut-in, somebody before surgery, somebody wrought with despair, maybe somebody who has a discontent heart against the congregation, I know I'm not alone in that visitation. Neither is any visitor that comes into the midst of someone else to bring the good news or even the word of the law when that is necessary. We're not alone, and we visit those that the Lord loves. And so, it is true, we visit our Lord. We visit Jesus when we visit. It's kind of strange to think about it that way, or maybe to even put it in that way that we verbalize, we think about it in that way, but we do. We visit the ones that the Lord loves. And because of that, we go joyfully into the homes and hospital rooms of those that need extraordinary pastoral care, that need what God gives in his good gifts, what he provides for the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, what he always will be there to give us, no matter whatever the circumstance that we find ourselves in. So take heart, all visitors out there. Know that you are not alone and know whenever you visit even the least among those that are called by this society or whomever, that you are visiting your Lord, that you are visiting the one that the Lord loves. That would be my word of encouragement as visitors go forth and take the Lord with him to these very extraordinary situations. 
Dr. Tyler Arnold is pastor of Village Lutheran Church in St. Louis. He's Collegium Fellow for Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel, and he's author of the new book, Pastoral Visitation for the Care of Souls. You can purchase this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Tyler, thank you. You're welcome. When we come back in Hour 2 of Issues, etc., on this Thursday afternoon, we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning. We will go with Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration, and then we'll hear Peter's reflections in the Epistle reading as we look forward to Sunday morning. Pastor Peter Bender will be our guest. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the Divine Service at 8.15 or 10.45 a.m., Bible study and Sunday school at 9.30 a.m., as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you.